0: If you have your Bibles, take them in turn uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul is writing to the 1 Corinthians. He's beginning to um, deal with division in the church. We started looking at part of the way he dealt with that last week. And so this week we're continuing to pick up on this theme of Paul's response to division in the church. And we begin in verse 18 and just read uh, six or seven verses there. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing... But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Father, we are privileged again to uh, be around your word today in such a free way. It's amazing that most of us here brought our Bibles to this place without any fear of um, reprimand or being thrown in jail or punished because of that. It's an incredible privilege that we have to so freely carry the book, open the book, read the words in the book, and then talk about it. And I pray that this familiarity and this freedom that we enjoy today will not blind us from the central reality of the truths that we have just heard about, which focus on the cross and Christ crucified. Help us, Father, once again to think rightly and correctly about this, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, One thing which is at the very, very heart of Christianity and the Christian faith is the cross and Christ crucified. And one of the ways you can realize that centrality is to just go back over some of the songs that have been so critical to our faith and so helpful in our um, just understanding of Christian truths. Uh, If you were here a little bit earlier as we were In the pre-service prayer, we were listening to that song. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. And then another line says, it was my sin that held him there. I will not boast in anything, but I will boast in Jesus, his death and righteousness. Why should I gain from his reward? His wounds have paid my ransom. We've got a number of hymns, Near to the Cross, some of you would know it, Near to the Cross. In the cross of Christ I glory. Beneath the cross of Jesus I fain would take my stand. When I survey the wondrous cross, it demands my soul, my life, my all. The old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and slain, for a world of lost sinners was slain. At the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sin rolled away. I listened in my office between the two services to the Getty rendition of The Power of the Cross. It's a beautiful song. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful man, torn and beaten, then nailed to a cross of wood. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows its head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. won through your selfless love. This, the power of the cross. Son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. The cross is just the center of our Christian faith and Paul also is saying the same thing in the words that we said today. It's not the thing that we veil. It's not something that we hide behind eloquent words. It doesn't need to be helped by human wisdom. We simply need the plain, unadulterated, exposed cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes Christianity's claim to being exclusive can be very irritating in a pluralistic culture. Does Christianity really demand a way of life in contrast to all others? Is Christianity the only way? As Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We come to God through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is no other method. There is no other way. There is no other wisdom. There is no other path. And so Paul begins with that same reality in verse 18, which I just read. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved It is the power of the cross. See, Paul picks up on the idea of division here that he's dealing with in this group of Christians. He's once again reminding them that following human leaders is folly. Embracing human wisdom that says, I know the way, I have a path, I can provide what is necessary to salvation, is foolishness. And the idea that we can somehow dress the cross up with eloquent words is a danger because in doing that, we re-rid the cross of its power. And so Paul just magnifies the cross as he's again writing to this group of Christians. He says the word of the cross or the proclamation of the cross. So fundamental is this to human humanity is that Paul says is one's response to the cross is what divides humanity in two. There is no other path. There are only two paths for the world. And he says humanity is divided along two paths. It's divided amongst those who are perishing because they consider the cross folly and those who are being saved because they understand it to be the wisdom and power of God. It's an incredible statement. It's an inclusive statement. And it's an all-encompassing statement for humanity. Only two groups. How you respond to the cross determines which group you're in. Which, as an aside, should drive home to us the importance of missions and the importance of declaring the gospel and the importance of understanding what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way we can come to know and understand the cross is that people go and tell other people about the cross. Because one's response to the cross determines one's destiny. Paul says to some people, the word of the cross or the proclamation of a crucified Christ is folly. It's a word from which we get moron from, moronic. It's moronic to people. As they think about this this issue, they, they, they think, wow, that's just a bunch of hogwash. And he says, those are people who are perishing, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Because Christ's work is really the pinnacle of God's revealed word and work. To reject the cross is to reject the final revelation of God and therefore to perish. And I understand people are repulsed by the cross. And yet some are willing, even as they consider the cross, to stand on their own human wisdom and face their eternity. As the writer of Proverbs wrote, though, there is a way which seems right unto man... But its end is the way of death. And so some people reject the cross for their own way, which ultimately results in their perishing and death. And then Paul says to others, uh, to those who are being saved, and notice here the tense, we we can go through the scriptures and I can show you that the Bible talks about uh, people as being saved, or those who are saved, those who are being saved, and those who will be saved. Salvation is a process, and the process is not complete until the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. And so Paul says, as we embrace the cross and put our faith and trust in the one who died upon the cross, we are amongst those who are being saved. They hear the word of the cross. They believe the word of the cross. They stake the eternal future on the wisdom and power of God revealed and displayed in the cross. As C.S. Lewis wrote, The message of the cross reveals whether a person is headed toward immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. And again, at the heart of this, then, is the word of the cross. What is the word of the cross? But it is simply the gospel. It is the message about the work of Jesus Christ, about God's plan and provision for our salvation. It tells us how it is that we can escape the guilt that we feel, the shame that we feel, the burden of sin that is ours, the punishment that comes upon us, the curse that is ours, and the death that we will all face because of our sin. And the cross is the escape route, so to speak, on all of this. It's rooted in history, like physical human history. That's one of the amazing things about the cross. There's a historical argument being mentioned here that the word of the cross speaks about a practice that was actually carried out in humankind and it was actually carried out upon Jesus Christ. And you can read secular and Christian historians who without a shadow of the death and with no sort of doubt will say that the crucifixion of Christ actually happened in time and space here on this world in history. And when the cross was mentioned back in the days of Christ, every hearer from Jerusalem to Illyrium knew that this so-called Christ had suffered a particularly cruel and shameful death, which as a rule was only reserved for hardened criminals, incorrigible slaves, and rebels against the Roman state. It was a brutal way to die. And in fact, Cicero, one of the prominent uh, politicians in Roman history, was appalled by the crucifixion of a particular Roman citizen. And he wrote, the very word cross should be removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. Jesus was rejected by the very people he came to save. He was deserted by his own disciples. He was strung up by the authorities of those days. And he was apparently unable to save himself. This is the historical reality of the word of the cross. But there's a spiritual reality to the word of the cross. And again, to proclaim a crucified Jew from some backwater part of the empire as a divine being sent to earth, God's Son, Lord of all, the coming judge of the world, must have been thought of by any educated or thoughtful person to be utter madness and and preposterous. Like how could some unknown... um, unaccomplished, uneducated individual have anything to do with my eternal destiny. And yet, as we can see throughout all of Scripture, that the cross is the very power and the wisdom of God. And Paul doesn't hide from the cross. He doesn't quickly sort of skirt the issue and, well, let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He proclaimed the cross wherever and whenever he was able to. He was not ashamed of the cross. He knew that the cross displayed the wisdom and the power of God. That in this gospel that was behind it, the wisdom of God was revealed. And through the cross, which was a symbol of Roman terror and shame, we all of a sudden see revealed rather the wisdom and the power of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. How does the cross reveal the power of God? In the song that I just rang, it's amazing how the cross reveals the power of God. It defeated death. It accomplished our salvation. It set us free from the curse that we bore because of our sin. It broke that curse. It paid the penalty for our sin. Behind the cross of Jesus is the incredible power of God to to do what no other human being could ever do for themselves or anyone else. And it's the wisdom of God. Well, how is it the wisdom of God? Well, what human being has ever come up with a method that's satisfactory for how one saves themselves? And yet God, in His incredible wisdom, used the cross as a way in which to display His, his justice so that He could be both just and the justifier Of all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. On the cross is displayed the beauty of the holiness of God. His wisdom as he displays both his anger and his love and his grace and his mercy. The wisdom of God in that it levels the playing field. and that it's the only way that all of us come to faith in Jesus Christ. The cross is an astounding revelation of the power and wisdom of God. In fact, Paul will say in one place that it displays the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God. Which astounds me, because as I see it, how can you ever have a biblical ministry or church ministry and never mention the cross? How can you never talk about Christ crucified? How can you never talk about sin? You, you, You can fill a church, and you can have people that are happy, and you can have a lot of fun, but none of them are saved. They will all be on their way to perishing. Because the cross is at the very heart of what it means. To come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul now begins to just sort of unpack this, this, this reality that human wisdom is folly. And to fall in line behind people and their systems and their philosophies is stupidity. And he turns it on his head. he says, people think God's wisdom is moronic. Well, God shows by his wisdom that human wisdom is moronic. And in verse 29, or in verse 19, he refers to Isaiah twenty-nine fourteen, which I encourage you to read the context of. But really, that verse helps us understand that, that, um, that God's wisdom is really a work of grace. Because if God left us to our own means, if God left us to human wisdom, we would be undone. But rather, Paul says that God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In other words, God's wisdom, uh, he has made himself known in such a way that he throws human wisdom on its head. He destroys it. He thwarts it. And he says, listen, you humans have tried forever and ever to figure out a way to save yourself, and you're unable to. And God says, this is how you have eternal life and receive salvation. He says in verse 20 that um, human wisdom, all human wisdom, has a shelf life. It really does. Uh, and the point here is that wisdom of, the wisdom of man does not help us to know God. It doesn't help us come into a relationship with God. It's boundaried by by this world. In fact, he would say there that there's limits to human wisdom. It's of this age and it's of this world. And when it comes to spiritual realities, human wisdom is utterly unreliable and impermanent. And if we are honest, if we look at culture around us, are we any farther ahead because of human wisdom? Has it solved the big issues that have been common of every man and woman that has ever been born? Issues of where we came from, issues of why we're here, what gives uh, meaning, what gives morality, where is our destiny? Does human wisdom, has it solved any of those questions? Has it been able to deal with our shame and our guilt? In fact, as I look at it, every attempt of, uh, to, to take human wisdom and layer it on the revealed Word of God in the end, renders the revealed Word of God useless. Somehow we we think that we can take wisdom from this field and wisdom from that field and wisdom from that field and we can add it to Scripture and we're better off. Well, actually, we're worse off. Because every time you apply human wisdom to divine revelation, you undermine divine, divine revelation. Every time. And so Paul is saying here that human wisdom doesn't get us anywhere. We're certainly more educated, we could argue, but we're not any more moral. We certainly are more prosperous than many generations that have come before us to a certain extent, but we're less generous. We have vast communication technologies, but we experience less relationship. Yesterday, I was in uh, Starbucks a couple of times, and I was amazed at how many people are out for coffee together and they're on their phones. Couples, and and I think, what's the point of that? Like, we've got this wonderful technology, and we're surfing the web, and we're checking our emails, and we're sending texts, but we're not having any communication with the person that's across from us. The internet. Some would argue, and I, I think there's probably truth there, that it has been a huge technological advance in our world. But we've not been able to deal with issues of pornography, We've not been able to deal with the scams that proliferate the internet and try and steal our money and our time. We have medical advances that are significant in so many ways, but when it comes down to human life and the dignity of human life, we're no farther ahead today than we were a thousand years ago. In fact, I could argue that we're probably worse off today. We've got this incredible technology of artificial intelligence what I don't know very much about, but I've seen a few programs on it and the debate is now, whose morality did you put into it? And I tell you, the vast majority of people that are working on it, I don't want their morality to be put into artificial intelligence. And so human wisdom has certainly brought us to considerable technological advances and medical marvels, but it hasn't, helped us deal with the critical issues of human life and human nature and human dignity. Where are the wise men, Paul asked? Where are the scribes? Where are the debaters? Where are all the people who are supposed to have all the answers? He says every one of these is a perceived expert, but they reject God's revelation. And you know, we could go to Psalm 1, and I shouldn't get off track, but Psalm 1, you could go and it says blessed is the man who does not stand in the council of sinners nor sit in the seat of the ungodly nor walk in the way of the wicked It'll, it'll lead us astray every time and again are we any closer today to solving the real issues of life with the advancements in human wisdom i would argue no Sin is still sin, and we haven't solved the problem. In fact, what we've done is we've, we've, we've sort of excused sin, we've numbed sin, we've dulled sin, we've taken sin out of our vocabulary so we can freely do whatever we want, and yet we go home and we're still racked with guilt, we're still racked with shame, we're still racked with pain, we're still in relationships that are just collapsing and crumbling all over the place, we're still dying, and yet we won't deal with sin as the way God tells us to deal with it. Come to verse 21, and we have there the power of God's wisdom to save. In God's wisdom, the world did not come to know Him through human wisdom. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for the way to God hasn't been something that some man or some woman drummed up in some lab or in some school of philosophy or something, because it would have excluded thousands of us, if not millions of us because it would have set standards, it would have had a bar, and it would have had a, a way of living, and it would have had a way of giving, and it you know, would have had a, a power structure attached to it that I would have never met the standards. And so God clearly says in those first verses there that worldly wisdom can't lead you to God. This is why, loved ones, we've got to be so careful not to line up behind humans, not to line up behind human personalities. Because they can't lead you to God. Only the Word of God can. And the Word of God drills us in and drives us back to the cross and Christ crucified. In fact, he says, only the folly of preaching can lead you to God. That's what it says in verse 20 For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe, it pleased God. It was God's good pleasure. It was God's sovereign will. It was God's divine inis- initiative. That in the stupidity and the the sort of the the backwardness and the 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 blandness of preaching. And I hope you don't understand in that standing up here preaching. Preaching just means to proclaim. It means to herald. It's the responsibility of every single one of us here. Through the folly. Of you and I just sharing the raw, plain, unadulterated word of the cross. Not dressed up. Not somehow protected because we're embarrassed of it or ashamed of it. Or people will be offended by it. But just by sharing the unadulterated, pure word of the cross. People will put their trust in Jesus Christ. And be saved. I... I I want... You to see in this passage, and I don't want to go on. I got so many rabbit trails, but one of the rabbit trails here is just the centrality of preaching. I don't know if you noticed that in this text. In just a few verses, the word of the cross, the foolishness of preaching, the word that we share—it's just—it's everywhere in these five or six verses. And yet, what's one of the things that we want to so quickly get rid of? If if a service is full, the pressure is to diminish the preaching. You know, if if, if we're having lunch with our friends and somebody asks about faith, we, we want to n- diminish heralding Christ. We want to talk about everything else and then we've got two minutes left in the night and think, oh, well, we'll talk about the cross next time. It's, just the, it's the easiest thing to put off to the side and that Paul puts it front and center and says this is the way that you share with people about their need. And so this folly of preaching is the main thing. And it's in the cross of Christ that we glory. Paul says that as we do this, we're going to bump up against unbelief. And we've all experienced this. You're going to bump up against unbelief. It's unbelief exposed. It's the path of perishing. We're blinded by Satan. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 talks there about how the, the, the individuals of this world are blinded by Satan. They have a veil over their eyes so they're unable to see the cross. And in that unbelief they have all kinds of excuses and Paul gives us two of the most prominent ones which are as relevant today as they were back then but the Jews say give me a sign. Prove it to me. If God is really who he says he is, and if Christ really died on the cross, do something to prove it to me. And yet you read through the Gospels, and again and again and again and again, Christ does incredible miracles. Restores the sight of the blind. Restores the healing or the hearing of the deaf. Raises the dead to life. Turns water into wine. Heals at a distance. Heals at his presence. Heals of leprosy. And yet people kept saying, I need another sign. I don't believe you're who you say you are. Tell me more. Show me more. If, if we're looking for signs, it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending pursuit. And of course, in the face of the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, people still doubt it. Well, somebody stole his body. Or he just fell asleep and woke up a little bit later and walked away. We just, we just disbelieve. And so signs are an endless game. And wisdom, you know, explain it to me. Just, just explain it to me in a, in a way that makes sense to me. Well, as we know, our thinking changes. And what satisfies us intellectually one day doesn't satisfy us intellectually the next day. And in fact, Paul went to Athens, and they all just sat around, and they, they talked about the newest and the latest, greatest philosophy. And philosophy is really the love of wisdom, philosophia, the love of wisdom. And they just like to talk and hear themselves talk. They didn't really want to come to the truth. And so Paul says, that's a stumbling block for some people. But Paul says, listen, I got a shocking message for you. We preach Christ crucified. We are so far removed from the realities of crucifixion in the day in which we live today. We have really cleaned it up, and we've tamed it. And in fact, we have no experience. In in the early days of the 1st and 2nd century A.D., it would not be uncommon for you as a family to witness somebody crucified on the side of the road or somebody crucified on a particular day or a particular rebellion with the streets lined with men crucified and dying on cross is just a gruesome and a brutal death we have crosses on our mirrors hanging from our cars we have crosses in our homes we have a cross behind me we have crosses around our necks we've, we've tamed it we've sanitized it we really have no understanding of the brutality of the cross and in Jesus day and in fact I don't know if in history there has still been anything as horrific as crucifixion It was a horrible and humiliating death. We today are shocked by news of somebody being beheaded. I say this so carefully, but we're shocked by that. But would we ever wear a head around our neck without thinking about the gruesome reality of that torturous death? And so you can see how in the world this would be such a shocking reality. How could a man who was crucified on the cross, do anything significant for me. And yet Paul says it's on the cross and Christ crucified that the wisdom and the power of God are displayed. And he says again, for the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And I know there may even be some here today who who think, that's just ridiculous that's really dumb. You know, I, I don't want to put my faith and trust in a man who was crucified. In fact, you know, I know somewhere in the Old Testament it says, cursed are those who hang on the cross. And he must have been cursed by God. And so why do I want to put my faith and trust? I want somebody who's big and strong, you know, who gets 110 goals a year, who scores 39 touchdowns, who's the president of the United States, who's a, you know, the, 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 the owner of Microsoft. I'll put my trust in them. But a crucified Christ... Or foolishness, utter foolishness, moronic. Some would say to the Greeks, the king was powerful and wise like Alexander the Great. Give me Alexander and I'm in. Give me a crucified Christ? You're a moron. There's a graffitio in Rome. And it's known as the Alexamenos graffitio. We call it graffiti. It's spray painted on the side of railway cars and on the side of buildings. And there's one of a foolish looking youth, and he's worshiping a crucified man with an ass's head. And the crudely, crudely written graffiti says, Alexaminos worships his God. Some people, they, they look at Christ on the cross and they think you were, and I use this word, don- they think you were an ass. Stupid, a donkey. Like, why would you do that? And I think that's still relevant today. That there are people today that think of a crucified Christ. Give me something else. Give me someone else. But don't give me the humility and the disgust of a man dying on a cross. And yet, Paul says, To those who are called, it's a beautiful, beautiful gospel term. To those who are called, to those who have been effectually called by God through the preaching of the gospel. That's how God calls us to faith in Jesus Christ, is through the preaching of the gospel, through the word of the cross, to those who are called. Notice he says, both Jews and Greeks, it's all-encompassing all around the world. If you hear the gospel of Jesus and you respond to the, God, uh, the call of God in your life, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because all of a sudden you see, there's no way I could save myself, but God did what I couldn't do myself. There's no way I could have dreamt that up. There's no way I could have thought that up. There's no way I could have resolved my problems. I'm not smart enough. But God has resolved them all at the cross. It's a display of the power and the wisdom of God. As for me, Paul writes, and I hope it will become more and more true of my life, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because on that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest to me has also died. What human wisdom tells you how to deal with your sin, your guilt, your shame? What human philosophy or power can free you from your certain death? from the punishment that you deserve because of your sin, because the curse that you are under because of God. Tell me, show me. Where is it? It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ. How about you today? Is the word of the cross foolishness to you? Is a crucified Christ an embarrassment, a stumbling block? Are you among those who are perishing or among those who are being saved? It all comes down to your response to the word of the cross in Christ crucified.